God has called each of us. And when we are where He wants us to be, and when we understand Him and us, and we move in that, we will, God will do an amazingly, insanely wonderful things in through, in through any one of us. And we will just say, that just makes no sense. For example, why Calvary Chapel would be impacting a nation in Rwanda. Who would have ever thought of that? If we're faithful here, always faithful, God will choose where to go. Our issue is to be faithful. Now, at the end of the sermon, if there's something, uh, at the back I have a a two-sided paper, and what this paper says, it's just a bunch of Bible verses that says how God sees you. Because we want to expose today how we approach life and how we often really don't understand what's going on. And we need the truth. So this is two, two sides. They're just a bunch of Bible verses that talk about how God sees you. If there's not enough, my lovely wife will make more copies. She's good at that. Okay. The musician's tuning. Um, Greg plays the guitar. There it is, the guitar. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to mess it up. He's not here, so I can't. Oh, he's back there. There you go. Uh, the musician's tuning, the thing, we're talking about the Lord and, and, and our relationship with Him. And, and first of all, I want to say that how we treat each other and how we see each other depends on how we relationally view each other. I'm going to let that sit there for a minute. How we see each other and treat each other depends on how we relationally, relationally, relationally view each other. If you see uh, somebody like Jackie talking sternly to a young child, you're not upset because you're assuming it's her child. But if I talk sternly to Brad and Kelly's little girl, I can tell you what will happen. Brad and Kelly are going to come out. (laughs) Who do you think you are? Because you don't have the relationship to talk that way. How we talk with each other depends on how we view each other. And the problem we have is that very seldom do both parties view each other the same way. And God views us as His children and we don't see him as our father. Then we put all kinds of stuff on him that we say is bad and wrong. And it's, he says, well, wait a minute, you're my children. I'm not talking to Brad and Kelly's girl. Jackie says, I'm talking to my girl. God says, I thought I was talking to my children. And we don't get it. And then we blame God for all kinds of stuff. Call him abusive, manipulative, controlling, all kinds of stuff. And he goes, wait a minute. Where are you coming from? So, in Hebrews it says, My son, my son, my son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you're reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. This is the truth of God's word, and we need to understand it and and grasp it. Now the full portion, that verse is set here in in Hebrews chapter 4. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. When John Paul was here, and he was in our basement at one point, as the Holy Spirit said, you need to go back to Rwanda, because you've been lying to the government there, and the government here, and you're a liar. And he said, but if I go back, they might kill me. Which was actually true. 
At least they'll throw me in prison and it, it, it won't be good. And I quoted this verse to him. <laughs> you have not resisted yet to the point of death. You're still alive. What are you complaining about? That's my compassionate side command. <laughs> and I asked him, what's more important? That you be a son of God, living with integrity, submitted to the Lord, and a man of truth, or that you be a Canadian and a liar. He says, if I can't be a man of truth and integrity, it's not worth it. And I says, good, we don't need more lying Canadians. <laughs> Thank you. Not getting hooked up there. <laughs> he says, and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. You see, he starts off by saying, you're my sons. And he says, you forgot, I'm talking to sons. You're getting it messed up. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord or faint when you're reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines and he scourges every son who he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. I love it in Jeremiah. Jeremiah is the wailing, weeping prophet where he's kind of complaining to God about the difficulties and God says to him, Jeremiah, you're complaining, come on. You're complaining when you compete against men. I want you to compete and win against horses. Come on. Let's get some fight on. I'm not going to talk about the bombers today. <laughs> okay. See? Dodged another bullet. Some freebie for you. You see this stuff here? This is now November, December. And in Canada, many of us start feeling depressed in the wintertime. And a cloud pulls over our eyes. It's because we have a vitamin D deficiency. See, it's not super spiritual. Go buy some vitamin D. Take four or 5,000 units a day and you should be okay. So if you don't do that, do yourself and everybody around you a favor. <laughs> vitamin D, okay? This is a freebie. There you go. We were in Norway, and, and which is further north than we are here. And I was speaking, and you could see the people. They were, droop, they were sitting there like... And I asked, have you ever heard of vitamin D? And he said, what are you talking about? They took it as a word from the Lord. I said, good idea. <laughs> Sometimes a word from the Lord is highly practical. It's just that simple. Okay, continuing in, in Hebrews. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. We shall... Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness. All discipline is for the moment, seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble, and make straight paths for your feet, so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather healed. I saw the Holy Spirit highlighted that last little part to me. He says, you see this, Dave? Right after I'm telling you how I discipline you, train you, and it's tough and difficult, and you haven't died yet, I'm telling you, you need to encourage each other because a lot of you guys are getting very weak need about this whole thing. You're saying, if that's what you're talking about, I'm out of here. This is not what I signed up for. And if we give up 
because it's too difficult, then we don't understand what it is we're going through. It's just that simple. I've been in church leadership for quite some time, and I've made more mistakes than I care to count. And one of the things that qualifies me to train leaders is I I can see almost every mistake from a mile away because I've made it. And there's a time in, in our lives when Lynn and I agreed we would never, 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 never be in church leadership again. Ever. That's it. That's true. <laughs> Made too many mistakes, too many people get hurt. Just no, not going there. And there's a time when we were here at Calvary Chapel and there was chaos. I won't go into that. But in the middle of that, it looked like maybe we would not be in church leadership again. And Lynn and I sat there and we said, oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. God's going to let us out of here. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. But God didn't, okay? He has us here. I've been through the mill. Lynn and I have been through the mill and the grinder so many times. And we continue to be there. We want to be used by the Lord. We, dis- we need to submit. And we will make mistakes The question is not how many mistakes you make, it's how often do you repent and confess. That's the issue. So, continuing. The musician's tuning. God is a musician, we are the instrument. Uh, The instrument or tool in Kenya Rwanda, it's the same word, tool or instrument. And uh, so it's a tuning of an instrument or sharpening of a tool. A tool can be anything, carpenter you can use, a plumber, electrician, etc. But it needs to be tuned and and fine-tuned and updated. You notice Greg over here, he plays the guitar, he tuned it before he practiced this morning uh, on on the worship team. Am I right? Thank you. Then after they finished the practice, before we started worshiping, he tuned it. Am I right? Thank you. Then in the middle of all the worship thing, as we're going along, you tuned it again. In the middle, sometime. There was one point when you picked up the guitar and you checked again. Like, when is this thing tuned? And that's how we are with the Lord, you see? But we make the mistake of thinking once He's tuned us, we're in tune. No, we're not. We go out of tune all the time. A little bit here, a little bit there. And if we don't care, we sound terrible. But we complain when we get tuned. Hmm. Funny how that works. The process of using someone, anyone, by redeeming, calling to be with him, preparing, and then while using and continuing to shape and reshape is a view of a relationship with God, our Heavenly Father, and His Holy Spirit in us. And it's ongoing. And we need to embrace it. In Acts chapter 9, verse 15, it says, Paul was a chosen instrument of God to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. The Apostle Paul hunted and killed Christians, went from house to house, hunted and killed Christians and dragged them out and killed them. And then he says that God chose me in my mother's womb to use me. How do you put that together? Well, how I put it together is this, I don't care how you've messed up. God has chosen you. And if you come to the Lord Jesus Christ and are honest, he'll use you. And somebody will say, ah, but I know your past. I know what you did. And you says, yeah, but I know what Jesus did even further back that applies to me. So whatever your mess up is, then when you're living for the Lord and you're doing the right thing and then you sin, then you say, that's it. Now I got to be thrown away. I'm, I'm finished. I'm useless. And then I go to David who, who sinned and he got confronted and he said, okay, I'm going to repent. 
There's not a one of us here who hasn't sinned this last week. Not a one. And if you say you're that one, then you're a liar. And then you sinned. (laughs) We need to repent. We need to walk in the Lord and understand that God wants to do something in us and through us as his children. God chooses and God trains and God disciplines for his glory because he loves us. How we respond determines the outcome. God is using John Paul to reach, he's heading up that ministry in Rwanda for the nation. I'm not going to share some of the struggles he's gone through, but it's by God's grace that he's still there. Because there's many struggles that happen. And all of a sudden the enemy will come and say, here's a way out for you. Hallelujah. Wonderful position, good money, you can leave. Oh, hallelujah. And it's presented as ministry. But if you ask the question, is this God's will or God's plan? Then we can get upset saying, ah, why do you ask that? God called Calvary Chapel and said, I'm going to use you to impact a region in Africa. 15, 20 years ago he said it prophetically. As we were crying and weeping here, a prophet came and says, a bruised reed he will not break and a dimly burning wick he will not extinguish. We know that. Jake and Marianne have been here longer than I have, than Lynn and I have. They know that. They've seen that. Greg and Michelle, came, Greg came here at the same time we did to Calvary Chapel, 1994. Then in Matthew, that same verse is repeated. A battered reed he will not break off, a smoldering wick he will not put out until he leads justice to victory. And in his name the Gentiles will hope. Matthew is written primarily to the Jews. And then here he says, in, in his name the Gentiles will hope. And the Jews are saying, we're going to, the, the Messiah is for the Jews, we're going to hope in, in the Messiah. And Matthew says, in his name the Gentiles will hope, also the Jews. Isaiah 29:16 says, You turn things around. Shall the potter be considered equal to the clay that what was made to the maker? Uh, Isaiah, woe to the one who quarrels with his maker. 45 verse 9. Who quarrels with his maker. I don't want to be this guy. I don't want to do this. I want to do something else. Isaiah 64 verse 8. But now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay and you are the potter. We need to understand that we all have work to do. God's, my job is to humble myself. God's job is to glorify me. To bring glory through me. My job is to humble myself. God's job is to bring glory through me. If I am lifting myself up, exalting myself and promoting myself, I am doing whose job? Hmm? God's job. Okay, whose job is left undone then? My job. And God says, okay, I'll do your job. I've been there. I've eaten grass for seven years as God has humbled me because I refuse to humble myself. I know that place. Jeremiah 18 verse 6. Can I not a house of Israel deal with you as the potter does, declares the Lord? Behold the clay in the potter's hand. So you are in my hand, O house of Israel. Romans 9.21 Or does not the potter have a right over the clay to make from one lump a good vessel and another a bad vessel? 1 Corinthians 12 talks about spiritual gifts. Everybody's given a gift. What have you been given? If you don't like your gift, use it. As we use our gifts for the Lord, I'm convinced God will give us more. You want more? Use what you've got. You can't use it up. Then he says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. James 1, verse 2 to 4. Consider it pure joy. 
You go, hallelujah, hallelujah. There's difficulty. My eye blew out. Oh, in spring. Yeah. There it was. Hallelujah. God is moving. God is doing something. Romans 5 verse 1. Therefore you have been justified by faith. We have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Through whom we have obtained our introduction by faith into the grace in which we now stand. And not only this, but we exalt in our tribulations. Knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance and perseverance, proven character, proven character, hope. And hope never disappoints. Never, never, never. Never, never, never disappoints. The guys in Rwanda when I was teaching says, what is this joy? What are you talking about? Well, when I stand in front of you and we have these difficulties and challenges, I present the joy of the Lord. Then I go home to my study and I'm on the floor weeping and wailing and kicking my feet and banging my fists on the floor and saying, God, what are you doing? What's going on? What's happening? And I get that out of my system and I get up and I stand before you and you say, oh, hallelujah, consider pure joy, pure joy. That's what the joy looks like. You're honest about what's going on. I don't stand and spill all the pain in front of you guys here. That doesn't make any sense. But I'm honest about it. Rob knows where I'm at. I know where Rob's at. Ron McLean knows where I'm at. So often in our conversations, they begin this way. Jesus is Lord. Then we talk about the junk. And we end with Jesus is Lord. When you see me here full of joy, which I am, it's not put on, it's real. But I feel the pain too, and it's real. There's times I say to Rob and Ron, Jesus is Lord, but it sure feels like He's not. He is. You ever wonder about that? Rob, when did you get married? I know exactly when you got married, but just remind me of that date. Yeah, the date, exact date. August 9th. I know that because before we went to marry them, we put the offering on the place we now live. <laughs> okay, August 9th, 2000? No. 2002. What time were you married? Okay, in the evening you were married? What time were you actually pronounced married? Okay, so it was in the evening. In the morning? Were you married in the morning? Oh, no, 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 no. In the afternoon, were you married already? <laughs> Marianne said, oh, no, 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 no. Mm-mm-mm. But in the evening, you were married. Huh. The next day, were you married? Did that ever change? Hallelujah. Too many times we're, we forget that as children of God, we are. We are children of God. Oh, it doesn't feel right at it, but I understand all that. But we are children of God. Uh, I want to tell you a story of a man we met in Rwanda. Could be a story of many guys. Um, Matt and Helga were with us when we heard the story. I don't think Dave and Edith were there, but Matt and Helga, I think, were there. And he gave us a testimony. This guy was always happy and cheerful. You don't find many Rwandans seemingly beaming with joy on their faces. I don't know why, but we asked them and they've got different answers. But anyway, this fellow was. He was happy and cheerful. There's Charles back there, our Rwandan brother. (laughs) 
He was happy and cheerful. We were at Kichikirushel. Before I got up to preach, the first time ever at Kichikirushel, this man stood up and he says, declared that we were sent to them as a prophet to bring God's word to the nation. Never preached, never said anything. But he was cheerful and joyful. And so we had him in our home to tell us, why are you cheerful and joyful? Old guy. So he told us a story. And he said that he was steeped in Roman Catholicism, trying to find meaning in life. He did everything over and over and over again, and the more he did it, the emptier he got. He just tried to obey all the rules, tried to do all the Hail Marys, and it just didn't work, didn't work, didn't work. So then he says, there's got to be some, something someplace. And he says, and then the Lord Jesus Christ redeemed me and he saved me. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. And I understood, I'm a son of God. Oh, hallelujah. And he's given me, his, me his Holy Spirit. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. He says, now I'm just so happy. He says, and I see people around me in bondage and trapped. He says, I got to tell them. I got to tell them, but I'm not a pastor. I'm not a deacon. I'm just a guy who's redeemed. He says, so what I did is I, I went down to the riverside and I got a drum out and I beat on the drum. And all the kids came and the kids came and I told them the story about Jesus and the hope of Jesus. And I said, I'll be here tomorrow. Bring your parents. Next day he beat the drum. Kids came with all the parents. He told them about Jesus. A few months later, he's got a hundred Christians. A hundred Christians. So he meets with the parish pastor in the area. This is a, the church we work with. He meets with the parish pastor and he says, I got a hundred Christians. They got to get baptized. We need a building. And the pastor says, I don't have money for you. And, and you're not a pastor. You can't baptize them. And he says, it's okay. I'm not asking you for money. We've collected money. We bought a piece of land and we built our own building. I didn't ask you for money. He said, these people need to get baptized. He's okay. So I'll send somebody. So he sends somebody to baptize 100 people. Now they've got a church of 100 people. And the parish pastor says to him, we need a pastor to take care of these people. He says, yes, we do. And the parish pastor says, good news. I got a guy here. He was ready. You're not a pastor. And he took the people. We don't need you. Thank you. So what does he do? He stands. He looks around. He sees another mountain. He goes, oh, hallelujah, another mountain. There's always another mountain in Rwanda. Goes to the other side of the mountain. There's a river, gets his drum, beats on the drum. What happens? Kids come out. Kids come out and he says, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. Why don't you come back tomorrow and bring your parents? They come back next day with the parents, come beating the drum, tells them all about Jesus. A few months, few months later, he's got a hundred Christians. These guys got to get baptized. What am I going to do? He calls the pastor, the parish pastor. He says, we need to get these people baptized. We need to, we need to build a church, consecrate the church. He says, well, you're not a pastor. You can't baptize them. He says, I'm not asking you. As I'm saying, somebody needs to do this. He says, okay. And he says, I'm not asking for money. We bought the land and we built a building. The guy sends somebody to baptize 100 people. They have a church of 100. And, and the parish pastor says, but you're not a pastor. He says, I know. He's, but the good news is, I got a guy here who's a pastor. He'll pastor them. We don't need you. Do you feel that in your stomach, that knot? That's what you feel when you're trying to build your kingdom, not God's kingdom. It robs you of your joy. He says, how many churches did you plant? He says, seven. (laughs) 
Why keep this guy in one place? It would make no sense, would it? Seven. Now he's a deacon. <laughs> Still can't baptize people. <laughs> he doesn't care. It's your reaction, your response to a situation that determines how you feel. We could tell you that story over and over again for many, many people. That when Matt and Helga were there, they heard it as well. Simeon was there. And uh, so there's testimony. He was in our home for a meal and he says, okay, now we're almost family. You first have to come to my home for a meal too. Then we're officially family. You see, when you know where I live and I know where you live, I can hurt you. And they're not unaware of these things. And we are family. Hallelujah. Our response reveals how we view ourselves and God. Right thinking leads to right acting. If you continue in my word, John 8, 31, then you are truly disciples of mine and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. I'm glad you guys had the nodding up in the stomach as I told that story. That's brilliant. Because it shows you, the Holy Spirit is showing you, see that your, your thinking isn't right here someplace. There's a heads up. Wrong thinking. God created us in His image and breathed His breath into us. What are we worth? What value do we have? Then He sent His only Son to die for us. And He gave His precious gift of the Holy Spirit to put into us. And He says, I'm going home to prepare a place for you. I put my Spirit into you, my Word into you. I want to be with you everywhere you go. I want to be with you and talk with you and move in you and through you and among you. Have you got it? Your mind that we're children, we're family, together, together. You guys are brothers. I will create a new people group that are not red, black, yellow, orange. It's a completely new race. Never before seen. You see it in, in, in Peter, he talks about it. It's a new race. God has created a new race. They're not Canadian or Rwandan or Tutsi or Hutu or Cree or, or Aboriginal. They're, not, they're a new race of people that have the Holy Spirit in them. He says, that's how I want you to relate to each other. Because that's how I see you. But we don't, do we? And our response to situations reveal how we really think. And we believe lies, and the Holy Spirit wants us to correct those lies and get to right thinking. Okay? Now, this is part of the stuff that Lynn and I have the privilege of teaching here in Rwanda. So what is your concept of God? Okay? Well, if your idea is that He's strict and demanding, He has rules and regulations... And then you will think that, that you have, in order to get favor, you have to succeed. You have to do stuff for God. The more I do for God, the more, the, the more Christian I am, the more something, I don't know what I am, but I have to do things. It's all about what I do. Then you view your life as a laborer. You see yourself as a laborer, not as a son. You're a laborer. It's not how God sees you. And if God treats the laborer as a son, the laborer will be upset. Very upset. Or perhaps you're an orphan. And you, you view God as somebody from the past, somebody who was distant, somebody who was not, was not there. You didn't really belong. You didn't fit in the family. My older brother and my two sisters are fair-skinned and, and, and red-haired. What do you think I struggled with as a child? My, my siblings kept telling me, you don't even fit. Just look at yourself. You, can, you know you don't fit. 
He looked like the milkman. We had our own cows, whatever. It was a good story. <laughs> We're orphans. We come to church as orphans. We ask people, who do you talk to about the deep soul issues of your heart? Short answer, nobody. We live as orphans. What a miserable way to live. Whew. And I want you to know that I have owned each of these bad ones. I've tried the laborer for quite a few years, I can tell you. And I've been the orphan for many years, and I've been the victim for many years. And I now for quite a few years have been growing in the sun thing, and I ain't going back. Mm-mm-mm-mm. But if you're an orphan, then, then you, you, what you've known in the past is how you determine God is. Was he absent? Did he not care for you? Did you belong? Were you blessed unconditionally? And if you were not, you view God is not that blessing, not that guy. Maybe you're a victim. The, uh, the victim, uh, the concept of God is that God is the ultimate control freak. God, with all the power and all the ability, could actually change the situation, but doesn't for some reason. And then yet you say he's a loving and caring God. And we judge God, say you're not loving and caring, because if you were, you would rescue this victim. <coughs> Poverty mentality, victim way of thinking. We can give people money to try and get them out of poverty. Let me tell you, no person or country has ever, ever, ever come out of poverty by money given to them. Ever. And here we are, victims. Will somebody just do something? John Paul, for many years, as he was here in different times, said, just do something. Then finally, he was, as he was trained in the football thing, he said, oh, I'm waiting for somebody to give me the, the letter that says I should do this, or give me this, or give me... I said, what? when will you just do something? Stop being a victim. He went and started doing something. Whoa, crazy what happens. I've been a victim for a long time. The victim requires somebody from outside of themselves or the situation to intervene and do something in order for them to be okay. And they're stuck in their situation, hopelessly stuck. Can't see any way out. And what they want to do is they want to make sure everybody understands, I'm the victim. You might have whole races of people that will teach your kids, don't forever forget, you're the victim. Not how God sees us. The son or daughter sees, ah, daddy, daddy, Abba, father, daddy, 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 woohoo! I'm a child of God. Who the apostle Paul, who was such a nasty person, says, do you understand how amazing this is? This me, this nasty person, I am a son of God. Ooh, hallelujah. My race, my creed, my past, my history, everything. I'm a son of God. He's adopted me. It's like I was born into his family from the beginning. This is insanely wonderful. The enemy does not want you to realize this. It's insanely wonderful. What is your concept of God? If your concept is not that insanely wonderful father loving, caring for you, you're believing lies and you fit into one of these other three categories. Okay, what is your source of identity? Well, for the laborer, the identity is personal achievements, your position, your status. You expect to be paid. I'm doing all this for God and God's going to give me the reward. I'm going to line up in heaven and boy, oh boy, am I going to have a mansion in heaven. Look what I'm doing for him. And Jesus might say, when you get to heaven, having preached to the nations, baptized many, he might look at his hand and say, I don't see your name anywhere. 
Who are you? I built hospitals and schools and churches. Well, I understand that, but you see, I, I don't see your name. I didn't ask you to do those things. I wanted you to be my son, my daughter, not to try and impress me. The orphan source of identity comes you seeking, and we believe that they're not, they're not a son or daughter. Their whole identity is that they're seeking and looking, and, and that's who they are, and, and they're, they're, they're fatherless. They, they can't be comforted. You cannot comfort an orphan. They want to belong someplace and just can't. They want to fit someplace. Maybe you're the victim. Our identity comes from being, sense of being a whole person is stolen from us. We go up into the mountainside in Rwanda with a man named Viator, and as we're going and we're going to his village during Genocide Memorial Week, and they're digging up 22 bodies there in a mass grave, and two guys that killed him are there digging them up with him. And as we're traveling up there, we say, he says, this is the, the, where I'm serving the people. This is where I'm pastoring. I said, how many people did you lose? He says, in 10 days, we lost 100 of our family members. We can't forgive somebody because they don't invite us over for coffee. 100 of his family members. What's he doing now? He's serving them and blessing them. The only way is to forgive. Genuinely forgive. And if you have not done that, you will be forever the victim. Forever. Now again, I have lived in each of these environments, and I won't elaborate on them. If your your motive for obedience, why do you obey? The laborer wants to gain favor, wants to gain recognition, wants to get a reward. That's why we do all this this work and work and work and work. We do more and more and more and more. The orphan is afraid of being rejected and they want to be accepted and get approved. They just can't. So I'll do more because I need to get accepted. I need to get approved. Isn't anything I do worth anything? And the victim obeys only when the pain is less to obey than it is to not obey. Because the victim is never with you. They're, they're the victim. I can't do anything. They're stuck. Ah, then when all of a sudden it becomes more painful to stay where you are than to obey, then you'll do something. It's not really obedience. It's just perceived as less discomfort. And we have people leading churches and nations who are thinking this way. The son or the daughter. You see, the identity comes from the extension of the father. They're keenly aware of the father. The father's work and love in him. And the son or daughter will do an awful lot more and accomplish a lot more, but it just doesn't feel like work. It feels like in the morning as you're waking up, God tells you what to write down. You write it down and zappo, you've got a book. Funny how that works. I love it. The victim of the sense of being a whole person is stolen. They can't forgive. They obey only when it's less pain. So who are we? Are we sons and daughters? Are we victims? What about the response to spiritual barrenness? When we know we're empty inside, we're just dry, like my mouth is, and I can't get it wet. What do we do then? Where do we drink water? Aha, not going there. The laborer, when they get empty, they fear emptiness. They fear quietness. They fear personal reflection. We can't go here. We've got to keep moving. We've got to do something. 
If it doesn't work, then get take a bigger speed. Get a bigger hammer. We've got to do it. Do it, do it, do it. We've stopped asking the pastors in Rwanda who had a day off last week. Because when we ask them who has taken a single day off in the last year, the answer is nobody. How do you function? We're doing the Lord's work. No, you're not. You're doing something. This is not how God asks you to do it. No, 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 no. So when you're empty, you do more, do more, do more. And you expect others to do more. Everybody around you, you better do more, do more. If you have a pastor who lives here, then you're going to have to do more, do more, do more, do more. The orphan withdraws and hides. They're afraid to be shown, afraid to be revealed. And they'll find a surrogate father or surrogate mother, somebody they can call father or mother, and they'll attach all kinds of stuff to them. And then it doesn't happen. Then it further enforces that they're not worthy and they're nothing. Only the father in heaven can fill it. Then the victim is the victim's not even aware that they're broken. This is just how I am. I'm, I'm just the victim. I have no responsibility for anything. Stuck here. The son or daughter, when they have a need, they say, Father, I have a need. I'm so empty here, man, I could spit cotton. Can you help me here? Then you read the Psalms and you read it like you own it, all the bad things and the pain, and you call your pastor and you rant and rave and rail on him and you stomp around praying and screaming and yelling because you're a son. And the father looks at you and says, that's my boy. That's my boy. He's got a lot of emotion, you see, a lot of feeling, a lot of drive. He's really impacted when bad things happen and he comes to me. And that one I'm going to use. Son. Whoo! Hallelujah. The biblical example of a prodigal son, a biblical example of the labor is a prodigal son. Older brother. Thank you. The prodigal's older brother. Because when the prodigal comes back, he says, didn't I work for you? Didn't I do this and 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 do this? The father says, you're my son all along. Why are you talking to me about doing, 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 doing? The father says, everything I have, everything, everything, everything I have for you. And you're sitting here talking about doing, 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 doing. What? What? What are you trying to achieve by the doing? The orphan, the prodigal son, before he returned... He didn't understand that his father owned everything, that everything the father had was for him. So he wanted something that he wanted for himself. And he didn't understand that everything, everything was for him. Everything. He says, I wish you were dead. You're not my dad. Because if you were dead, I could get what I want. Before he returned, he didn't understand. He was the orphan. The victim is, is the lame man who's sitting here. He says, well, nobody can help me. I can't get, I, you know, I can't get any help. I'm, I'm just stuck here. I'm lame forever. Or Ahab, King Ahab. Remember Jezebel, Queen Jezebel? And, and King Ahab was her husband. King Ahab wanted to have the land. He said, I just want to have land. I want to have position. I want to have title. And I want to have some land. And the neighbor won't give me the land. And then Jezebel comes, I'll take care of that for you. Let me take care of that. She arranges to have the neighbor killed. She comes back there. You go, Ahab, now you can be the man. And that's what you get. As your eyebrows go, yeah. Is that a man? No. That's who we are. Empty. The son or daughter? Hmm. John. He's baptizing people. They're, they're, everybody's following him. Then Jesus comes and they all start to follow him. And they come and say, John, everybody's following Jesus. They're, 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 you're going to lose your ministry. 
You're the guy. You're, this is going to go away. You're going to lose it all. And John says, oh, he must increase. I must decrease. Jesus Christ. So I only do what my father tells me to do. He doesn't tell me to do it. I don't do it. Why do we do what we do? As we have the privilege of meeting with different people in different parts of the country and part of the world. And say, let me tell you about a problem I have. I'm listening and listening. Why are you doing what you're doing? What I'm listening for is that we believe we're doing what God wants us to do. And I, it's very hard to hear that because it hardly ever comes. The prodigal son, when he came back, his father, I'm not worthy of anything. I'm nothing. I don't deserve anything. I'm nothing. The father doesn't say, you're right, you don't. No. He says, I forgive you. I've been looking for you. I've been waiting for you. What about our future expectations? Well, the laborer wants to be rewarded for the good work that they've done. They've earned a status. I've fasted and prayed, now I expect this. I've done this, now I expect this. I have given this, now that's going to come. I have earned it. We don't say I've earned it, but that is the lie that we believe. Earned what? Everything that I freely gave you, you've earned? Everything I have freely given you, you have earned. How to kick somebody in the shins. Somebody gives you a $100,000 check for Christmas and you know it's good. Do you say, now I've got to figure out how to repay it. What don't you understand about gift? It's a gift. Don't try to repay it. The orphan. Sometimes, somehow, perhaps... Maybe I'll be accepted. Maybe I'll be approved. See, other people get accepted. Other people get approved. But me, I don't expect to ever be accepted. That's just who I am. I'm an orphan. Yep, I was born an orphan. I live as an orphan. And I'll die as an orphan. Maybe, or what about the future expectations of a, of a victim? The victim expects that God's vengeance would pour out on the villains. Those people that did me a dirty, God's going to get you for that. God's going to deal with you. That'll be the end of that. Oh, the only thing that keeps me going is I know that in the end, God's going to judge you. <laughs> Unable to forgive. I'm not going to forgive you and I don't want God to forgive you. That's what you're saying. And God says, if that's who you are, then you do not understand forgiveness and in essence have not received forgiveness. That's not how my children behave, he says. My children forgive. They have 100,000 people killed and he says, I forgive you. You don't deny what happened. Paul keeps telling people what, who he was and what he did. Does not deny what he did. Don't deny or say it was nothing. 
maybe you've been raped or molested and you could forgive. You don't deny what happened. You don't put on a happy face and say it'll be good. But bring this whole mess to Jesus. He's going to make something beautiful out of it. If you're a son or daughter, your expectation for the future is that we will be with the Father forever. Paul, like Paul says, I don't know what's better, to stay here or to go home. I just, just, uh. There's a gospel country song by the Gaithers. I mean, I think everybody should sing Gaither songs, you know? <laughs> and they're talking about when I die, when I take that step into heaven, may it not be really a transition. May I just kind of like changing lanes, you know? Walking in the Spirit, living in the Spirit, moving in the Spirit. You can't do it, I can't do it. If we've accepted Jesus Christ as our personal Savior, which I did when I was six years old, and I didn't really realize it until I was in my 20s. And I said to God one day, how is it possible I know when I was born, but I don't know when I was born again? A lot of people say, it doesn't matter, you don't need to know. I get that. I kept, people tell, kept telling me that. And I said, okay, Lord, but I'd like to know, if you're my father, will you tell me? And he did. I was about six years old at a Jans team crusade in Plum Coulee, Manitoba. I can say Plum Coulee and not make a joke about it. <laughs> That's something good too, right there. And I understood that. But I lived as a, as a laborer. I lived as the orphan and I lived as the victim. My wife knows this person too well and my sons and the churches where I led. I put stuff on people that Jesus never put on people. And Jesus says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Oh, the stuff you're doing, you must be very, very tired and be very, very... People often, when they come to Lynn and me, say, you must be crazy busy. No, no we're not. In Rwanda, you must be great. No, we're not. Well, that's the time. You want to get together? If you do what the Lord tells you to do, you will, he will accomplish insanely wonderful things. And people say, man, that's amazing what you're doing. You say, I'm God's instrument. I'm God's instrument. The instrument does not take credit. And if we're God's instrument, we need to be expecting to be tuning. He's tuning us again and again and again and again and again. Sometimes you can't tune them, you've got to put new strings on. That's painful stuff, man. Been there, done that, bought the t-shirt, don't want to go back. So the question is, are you a son or daughter? What are the lies you believe? You ask the Holy Spirit to show you. And again, there's a paper in the back, it's got the Bible verses, tell you how God sees you. The freedom that is Christ is absolutely unbelievably amazing. Father, I thank you for your love and mercy and your grace to us. Father, I thank you that you created us and formed us and breathed your, your breath into us and then Jesus came and says, you don't understand. I want my Holy Spirit into you. I want my breath in you. That's who you are. You're my sons and my daughters, and I love you. And I want to be with you forever, and I want you to be with me forever. And that forever starts now, right here. Father, 
Help us to see you for who you are and us for who we are. Amen.